It's time to talk about climate change. It's real, it's happening, and it's affecting farming. You know, we have got an excess of water here. We've been busy pumping fresh water into the North Sea. Uh, and not 24 hours ago, I was with a group of farmers 100 miles south of here who are desperately short of water. This week on the programme, the farmers worst affected by the flooding. It's not just this season, it's the next two or three seasons because of the damage to the structure of the land and, and the ongoing. So it's not just this season, it's going forward. Forward. Plus, what can agriculture do to try and tackle the issue? In agriculture, we are ideally situated to help with the problem. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We start this week back in Wainfleet. We had an amazing response to last week's programme where we looked at the fight to save farmland from flooding after that horrendous weather a fortnight ago which saw two and a half months worth of rain fall in a matter of hours bursting the banks of the river steeping. Acres of prime agricultural land was flooded, meaning thousands of pounds of crops were destroyed. Well, on Thursday, those affected gathered with the NFU's Vice President, Stuart Roberts, to discuss the extent of the problem. We'll hear from him in a moment. First, Andy Marsh met with the farmers who've lost crops, not just this year, but with soil contamination, it could be a problem for years to come. OK, we've got about 40 acres um, went underwater. Um, it was sort of waist deep in the farmyard. It was getting very close to the residential property. Um, so, yeah, we've got ex- um, sort of a lot of that crop's going to be gone. Um, and it's sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the damage to some of our, our equipment, etc., in the yard as well that we couldn't get out in time. I mean, how much, I don't know how much of that it actually accounts for your business, but presumably that sounds to me pretty significant. Yeah, we've got about 100 acres, so that's, yeah, yeah, yeah 40% of, of our land was, was underwater, so... And how much, I mean, you probably can't put it in terms of money, but, I mean, just generally speaking, how much of a financial hit? At this stage, it's hard to say because you don't know of, of, of the crop that's damaged. But as, as at the, it was brought up at the meeting, it's now. It's not just this season; it's the next two or three seasons because of the damage to the structure of the land and, and the ongoing. So it's not just this season; it's going forward. I've got about 50 acres of land underwater. It's completely killed a crop of peas, and I don't know how bad it's going to be for the remaining weeks. So that, that sounds pretty bad to me. I mean, how much of a blow is it financially for you? Well, it's a third of my land, so it'll be quite uh, quite significant. And it's not the crop loss that's the greatest concern. If you go to the fields, they're completely covered in floating worms. The uh, damage to the soils, soil structure is going to be uh, catastrophic. Could take years to recover. So, I, mean, I don't know how long you've been farming this, but presumably you've not known anything like this before? No, no, it's never flooded like that before. Even when it's rained no end, it was uh, all the water coming over the river. It was a disaster. Well, that's just some of the farmers badly affected attending that meeting on Thursday. As mentioned, also there, and also speaking with Andy Marsh, was the NFU's Stuart Roberts. It looks pretty bad. I think, you know, we have got farmers who've lost crops uh, and quite severely lost crops. Uh, it's pretty devastating for, for a number of farm businesses in the area by the looks of it. And uh, I'm going to actually get out and about later on and see some of it for myself. Uh, but yeah, it does look pretty bad. 
What are we looking at in terms of compensation? The government seemed a bit reticent when uh, we spoke to them at the Lincolnshire show last week. Well, I think uh, government have to speak for themselves, but uh, one of the things we will certainly be talking about today uh, is whether there's an opportunity to uh, access the uh, the recovery fund uh, that we know has been used in, in previous incidents. Uh, but for me, uh, there's compensation, there's this incident, but there's a much, much bigger discussion, which is, first of all, why did this happen in the first place? Uh, making sure it doesn't happen again, but equally a much, much bigger one, which is about how we value important agricultural land and ultimately how we deal with water in this country. You know, we have got an excess of water here. We've been busy pumping fresh water into the North Sea uh, and not 24 hours ago, I was with a group of farmers 100 miles south of here who are desperately short of water. Um, and we have had a chronic lack of, uh, if you like, political investment in the importance of water. We've got to get to a point where DEFRA, the Environment Agency, farmers, uh, water companies and everyone else comes together uh, and has a much bigger national discussion about where we go with water going forward. And what part has climate change played in that situation? I think it's probably playing. It, it certainly is the backdrop to a lot of this. We're all seeing more extreme events. You know, 12 months ago, uh, if I was having a meeting in this village hall 12 months ago, I would have had farmers who were very worried about a lack of forage uh, or about dying crops. This year, we've got the opposite of that. And I think it's really important that against that backdrop of climate change, that we uh, as an industry uh, and all of us as society start to have a bigger discussion about water in particular. I think water arguably is going to be the most important resource going forward uh, and we've got to have a big discussion about it. I know you've been to the continent you've seen what they're doing there to tackle climate change with regards to the agricultural sector. Are there certain lessons that we could apply here? Well the, the two big lessons, I was in Holland about a month ago and the biggest issue for me there is this bit that they take it importantly, they invest in it. You know we talk about infrastructure investment in this country, we're prepared to put lots and lots of money uh, into a big railway line. Uh, why can't we look with that same ambition which they do in Holland when it comes to water? That's Stuart Roberts. He's vice president of the National Farmers Union, speaking there with Andy Marsh. Well, as Stuart says, more does need to be done on the wider issue of climate change all year round, not just when something like the Wainfleet flooding happens. I mean, look at France this week, or indeed the temperatures in parts of the UK yesterday, compared with where we were just two weeks ago. John Smith at Louth Tractors says climate change is here but he believes there are opportunities for agriculture to help tackle it. In agriculture, we are ideally um, situated to help with the problem. And all we're hearing about is the negativity. And that's not a fair argument, because everything on the planet is a negative and a positive. So if we can move the, the argument towards the positive as to how important agriculture is to sequestrate carbon, and very quickly... I'll tell you an interesting fact, if you want, that there's, in, there's as much carbon in the top metre of the Earth's topsoil as is in the whole of the atmosphere. And if we, I don't know what the rest of the statistic is, but if we could put organic levels up by 1%, just about a trillion tonnes of carbon disappears out of the atmosphere. So very strongly of the opinion this is where we need to be going. We need to do something. We've seen the situation in Wainfleet, haven't we, with the flooding there. Yeah. The climate is definitely changing and we've got to start acting on it. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't really comment on what's going on around the world, but it's no shadow of a doubt our weather events are intense. That's where the extremes are moving out. I recorded in the Wells last week the more rain and 
than I've ever recorded in a week in June. It's it's just yeah, and, and following what six months of dry. We live in Great Britain, the climate's always a bit variable, but this is variable beyond the extremes, isn't it? Thanks, John. That's uh, John Smith at Louth Tractors. So uh, those weather extremes John mentioned, are they now becoming more the norm? It's a question I put recently to TV weather forecaster Paul Hudson. You know, farmers are under pressure. I've just interviewed a guy from the NFU. Uh, he's been down to see the floods in Wainfleet and all around there, and, and there's four or five farms that have lost everything. It brings it home to you, the type of pressure that farmers are under. Absolutely. And are we going to see more weather extremes like that, do you think? I mean, what we saw last week in Wainfleet was extraordinary, wasn't it? Well, I think the interesting thing is I covered the floods in June 2007, which was a very rare event, and here we are seeing something locally that was actually worse. Mm within a period of um, 12 years, which on a, from a climate point of view, that 12 years is nothing. The projections do say that um, you know, we are going to see more extremes. Um, we, I mean, we saw a hot summer last year, which was comparable with 76. Those types of summers will become uh, more normal, but interspersed with heavier downpours of rain, because as the atmosphere warms, it can hold more water vapour, so you would expect rainfall to become heavier. So I think what we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, you know, since June 2007, is a flavour of things to come. And, and certainly, according to the NFU, you know, farmers are, are, are feeling it a little bit. That's Luck North weather presenter Paul Hudson. What does our agronomist Sean Sparling make of it all? He's uh, out there in uh, all conditions. Why is it happening, Sean? Morning. Yes, morning, Sean. Why? It's a tiny little world, but it's a massive question, isn't it? And the more I think about it, the more I think I know what the solution to the problem is. Farmers manage ditches around their fields with worst-case scenario in mind. We're, we're looking at the worst that could possibly happen all of the time in agriculture. That's how agriculture works, really. So we're offsetting all of the risks. So ditches on farms are managed so that if we were to get six inches of rain in 24 hours, like we saw a couple of weeks ago... The land is in such good condition that it's capable of filtering the water down to the land drains, which are in good condition, so they carry the water out into the ditch, which is in similarly good condition, which gets the water away from the land. If we do get flooding, it's a very short-lived event because everything else is managed so well to get that water away. The problem comes when the next person in the chain hasn't done their job quite as well. So when all of our well-maintained ditches are carrying their water down to the river, which is supposed to be 20 feet across and 10 foot deep, but because it's been poorly managed and badly looked after and it's 15 foot across and it's only six foot deep, that's where the problems are coming from. So for me, anybody who is managing, charged with managing, being paid to manage our inland waterways and our rivers they need to understand that these events are no longer one in a 100 years. Forget what we've done in the past 50 years. Certainly don't sit there now thinking, well, it's happened now, it won't happen while I'm in this job. I'm all right for another 20 years because it'll not happen again. Because it blooming well will. We're seeing it more and more. Instead of getting seven inches of rain over the course spread out evenly over two or three months, we're getting it in two or three days. And it's happening more and more and more. And it won't be good enough and you won't be forgiven for saying, we've learned a lot of lessons from this. We understand what the problem was. It was the volume of water in a short space of time. We didn't have the infrastructure. We've set up a committee. We're going to manage it. It won't happen again because it will happen again unless you change how you manage the rivers. That, to me, 
is as simple as that. It's no more complicated than that. So let's get on with it and let's get it sorted out. Right, end of rant. Let's move on to the implications of that wet weather out there in the field. Potatoes. We've seen some blight. There are people spraying off areas within fields. That's really the only way to do it. Spray off areas, spray off plants which have got blight and stop them. But don't forget, there will be some blight still within those plants. So you need to put a couple of blight fungicides, including an antisporulant on, and manage any blight which is in any green material within there because it will act as a source of infection for the rest of the farm. Mises persicky levels starting to increase in potatoes now but we're seeing a lot of other things. We're seeing foot rot, we're seeing black leg, we're seeing a lot of things going on in potatoes at the moment. There's another phenomena as well. If you remember back to last summer, very hot, very dry, we were saying that some of the progeny, some of the seed which was being produced in these dry conditions may be physiologically aged. In other words, it may not be quite as vigorous if it's planted next year. And we've seen that in one or two varieties this year the plants look perfectly healthy and happy they're just small and less vigorous now hopefully like an iceberg 90 percent of potatoes is underground rather than on top but let's just keep our fingers crossed that the situation resolves itself a bit of warm weather the rainfall it's had it gets hold of some nitrogen and they grow away but that could be the reason for some of these plants not looking quite as well and some of these fields not looking quite as well i understand that it's more to do with seed because scottish seed they saw more normal weather with plenty of rainfall but it may well just be a physiological thing with the daughter tubers from seed that was produced in the dry condition sugar beet mysis persky started to move back into sugar beet a little bit now remember your threshold beyond 12 leaves is one mysis per plant the effect it'll have and the amount of virus it'll transmit will be minimal in comparison to what it would have done if you hadn't controlled them earlier on in the smaller crop black aphids starting to appear as well now remember your threshold for black aphid is about 100 per plant on a backward crop they'll be under the leaves and in the heart so if you, unless you're finding that let the predators which have increased massively mathematically almost logarithmically the levels of parasitic wasps and ladybirds and hoverflies and lacewings or the huge numbers in the field let them deal with that problem for you before you need to step in peas and beans they didn't like the wet feet certainly the peas didn't it's quite a lot of foot rot out there but the disease levels have increased in peas. We've seen some botrytis, some grey mould, some mycosphorella. In beans, we've seen an increase in downy mildew, chocolate spot, rust. Keep your eye on them, monitor them, and tailor your programme accordingly. Black aphids, not very many of them in spring beans at the moment. But this weather, we get two consecutive 20-degree days. We're going to start to see brookid beetle migrating back into spring beans once again. So we need to be aware of that. Get your sticky traps out, monitor them, but also be aware of the total max dose across the season of something like lambda cyhalothrin so if you sprayed a couple of times for pea and bean weevilum you've already sprayed for aphids early on in the season you may be at your limit so speak to your agronomist make sure you're safe winter wheat winter barley spring wheat spring barley largely finished now but let me just make a point if you're being told by your agronomist on winter wheat that's now starting to grain fill that you need to put a T4 and a T5 and a T6 on to control fusarium and microdochium and keep things levels down and minimize your risk get yourself a new agronomist because all of your fungicides pretty much have a cutoff of growth stage 69 which is the end of flowering unless you control fusarium between growth stage 61 and 63 the beginning of flowering in those wet conditions anything you do from here on in is a waste of time and we've seen it before 2012 people were putting t4 t5 to 6 it made no difference whatsoever other than it'll cost you money to do it so just ask the question is it necessary 
and am I doing the right thing? If the answer to either one of those is no, then don't do it. So another week will go past before we speak again, Sean, and I'm absolutely certain that it'll be just as complicated as this one was. It'd be boring if it wasn't. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Next, Kit has hopefully a slightly less complex open field update for us. Hello, Kit, how's, how's things? Yeah, good, thank you, Sean. Very good. Uh, hoping for a bit dry weather now after praying for rain for so many weeks. Yes, we wanted the rain. The rain came, now we want it dry. Exactly, exactly. Fingers Never crossed. happy. Never happy. But really, on the wheat front, fresh news was thin and mostly limited to weather, with the US forecast suggesting harvest conditions would improve in the coming week, whilst Canada continued to see dry conditions in the east. At the same time, yield reports from the US remained high. Whilst early protein levels were low, they are expected to improve as harvest progresses. But the key for US wheat remains on the export price for soft red winters, closing at 43 cents above the Black Sea at 11.5 protein, and hard red winters almost 25 cents above Russian 12.5 protein. At these levels, export sales are expected to continue to lag. Most wheat in the Lincolnshire area looks good after the rain two weeks ago, and with more sunshine and heat, yield expectations are looking good across the board. Oilseed rape, some crops have been damaged by the heavy wind and rain, which are now lodging, but a lot of crops do look well. Soya continues to be the one to watch, which could affect the prices. Prices are holding firm at present for new crop, but always with oilseed rape, we won't know the exact figures until the combines start rolling. Barley. This year there are some winter barley crops which are still standing very tall even after all of the rain and looking good. This is reflected in the price with feed barley under £130 now pre-Christmas. Spring barley is more varied with some crops behind this time last year. Barley reports from France, Spain and Germany are bullish at present and the new crop price will be completely dependent on the export values going forward. Beans brookered pressure continues to be at the forefront of everybody's mind after last year's high pressure. Similar to barley, human consumption will be dependent on the export availability and the quantity that the Egyptians require. Prices this week. Wheat, July 145 to 147. Harvest, 146 to 148. November, 149 to 151. May 20, 155 to 156. Milling premiums for new crop are currently in the 20 to 22 pound area, but this is obviously dependent on quality and area. Oil seed rate for July 300 to 303, harvest 305 to 307, November 315 to 317, and May 20, making up to 321 to 323. Barley, new crop July 120 to 121. Harvest 124 to 126, November 127 to 129, and May 20, an indicative value at present, is 133 to 134. Milling premiums are low at 15 to 20 pounds currently for new crop. If you'd like any bean values for old crop or indeed new crop, please speak to your farm business manager who will give you a bespoke price on sample. Thanks, Kit. Kit Dickinson at Open Field. Returning to what Stuart Roberts said earlier, tackling climate change head-on and his goal for a wider debate on water use in general, not just floods, but storage as well. Of course, uh, this time last year, 
we were facing drought, with no rain putting pressure on water supplies. Well, the team at JRH Water has created something new, a first for the UK, when it comes to harvesting the stuff that falls from the sky. It's free. Uh, Usually, to ensure the water's clean and fit for purpose, you can only keep it for a few weeks. Now, though, thanks to their mass store rainwater harvesting system, it can be kept for months. JRH director Michael Jordan explains. Yeah, we are the only ones. Mm. Um, We developed it. Um, Rainwater harvesting has a thing where we size it to the roof um, and then it is based on roughly about a month and a half to two months of water on average rain. So when that tank's full, especially with the sort of rain we're getting now, you've only got that water and then it overflows, which helps keep it clean. And that's been the sort of thing is keeping the water clean and fresh. Now with what we developed with Mass Store is uh, treating the water in the tank, which now prolongs that life of water for up to six months if no water comes in or out in that time. So now um, it is almost saying to farmers, what's your magic number? You know, there's there's sheds that when we do a yield um, calculation, it can be over a million litres a year. So, you know, why not collect it and use and save it for when you need it rather than just trying to lose little bits through the year? So, you know, people are collecting water at the moment, but the, the, the problem is that it, 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 you, you can't keep it very long. Well, yeah, I mean, people do keep it for longer. I mean, it's all down to, you know, it's uh, personal preference and how good you want the water. Um, water quality is com- becoming a really big thing. There's a lot of uh, data out. There's a lot of universities that are proving that cleaner water um, gives better yields, um, helps you in the business. So we've sort of taken that and taken it to the next level and gone, well, you know, let's clean rainwater up. Let's keep it for longer. Um, and then the idea is to get you off the main so you don't pay any uh, water whatsoever. And as you say about, you know, water quality, we've heard conversations saying, you know, we could f- run out of quality water within a matter of years, really. So anything that can be done to collect the stuff that's falling out of the sky has got to help, hasn't it? Oh, yes, yeah. Um, I think I've said this before on the show, that water companies will prioritise drinking water. So, I hate to say it, but agriculture is going to be the first one that gets hit. So, my view is, you know, get in now, get it set up, you know, get into that mindset of sustainable water and having a free source of water and recycling water. Are more farmers doing that? Are more farmers turning towards companies like you and saying, yes, we need to do this? Yeah, I mean, probably in the last uh, 12 to 18 months... um, We've had a massive increase on inquiries, a massive increase on work. Um, you know, we're taking more people on, we're expanding, we're going UK-wide now. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely right up there in farmers' minds. I know you've been speaking with people like DEFRA and the Environment Agency and others to see if, you know, you can assist with, with some of the ideas that, that they're working on. Yeah, uh, we're also now dealing with Natural England as well. So they're sort of turning to us and saying, you know, what, what can you do? Give us some ideas. Um, and yeah, we're working on a few projects at the moment that when they sort of become public, I think they'll be quite big. Storing water and helping the environment. Michael Jordan there at JRH. Next week, we'll catch up with our old friend Colin Jackson at PJP to find out how the potatoes are going for him. But recently, I caught up with Alex Godfrey. He's chair of the NFU's National Potato Forum to find out how the season's going from his perspective. Well, it's been a remarkably easy planting season this year. In fact, we finished planting our potatoes this year the same day we started planting them last year. So everything's gone in quite well. It then remained very dry for a while, but obviously in the 
last week or so, things have changed drastically, and it really depends where you are, to be honest, what's what's happened. So yeah, I guess different parts of the country. You know, we've got obviously severe flooding in in, in, in Lincolnshire. It's still been quite dry in other parts of the country, isn't it? That's exactly right. In other parts, have had it just right. So uh, yeah, it all depends on the local area. And was were you badly affected last year by the drought? Uh, yes, last year was a really tough year for growing potatoes, um, both in terms of quality and quantity. So our yields were well down, um, probably down over 50% on some unirrigated crops. Less than that, maybe 10 to 15 on irrigated crops, but quality, they really struggled. And often that was more to do with the heat, actually, than, than how dry it was. What, what would be the ideal condition now, going forward then, for uh, part, part, this, our part of the world, let's say, it's been, been particularly wet. What would you like to see going forward for the rest of the season? I'd still like some nice, bright, warm sunshine, um, but with a few good showers um, intermittently along the way, and that would see us right. And obviously, we can't escape the B word, Brexit. How are your members, how, you know, on... Uh, potato growers particularly being af- affected is it, is it the uncertainty that, that still is concerning them? Yeah there's a lot of uncertainty around it still I think in potatoes we're probably going to be less affected than some other areas of farming um, there are obviously potatoes traded in and out of the country but um, not a lot of the main crop potatoes it's some of the early season varieties coming in and also seed that's going to be tricky for some of our members Alex Godfrey, chair of the National Potato Forum at the NFU as I say we'll hear from Colin on next week's programme Right, after yesterday's hot spell, it's cooling down today. Just a blast of hot air yesterday from the south that's now passed. What has the coming week got in store, though? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, we've got a cold weather front moving in off the Atlantic, affecting the west of the country, but cooling things down in our part of the world as well after the heat of yesterday. Still okay today, in fairness. Sunshine and highs in their early 20s. A bit cooler again tomorrow. Temperatures more in their late teens. Maybe some cloud with maybe a shower if you're unlucky. And Tuesday the same. But then high pressure will build from the middle of the week, Wednesday into Thursday. That will make temperatures a little warmer again. Maybe early 20s, nothing like yesterday. Temperatures overnight, well, they're going to be mostly around 12 Celsius, so should be a bit more comfortable. And the winds, mostly from the west this week, 15 to 20 miles an hour today and tomorrow, nearer 10 miles an hour on Tuesday and Wednesday. Of course, the hourly forecast will keep you fully updated as well. For now, that is the forecast. Next week, a more traditional farming programme will be focusing on peas, potatoes and sugar beet. All, of course, affected by the weather still. That's next week. Until then, take care.